This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Harbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Friday edition of The Word to Stand On for Life. My name is Pastor Ken Cruzado, and this is a radio show where we love to take your Bible questions, questions about uh, what the Word of God uh, means in your life or what it means when you're reading it. how we can help you put it into practice in your life and help you fall deeper in love with Jesus. That's why we're here. And so, like I said, it's the Friday edition. If you've been listening this week, you know that Pastor Ron and Paula are uh, out of town. They're actually on their way back. I've been saying all week that he'll be back on the show uh, today. And I was wrong. So he will not be back on the show today. I'll be doing the show. This will be the last time. Obviously, it's Friday. And then next week, he will be back on Monday here to take your calls on the Word to Stand On for Life. But in the meantime, the show continues with your Bible questions. So let me give you the phone numbers to call in if you want to do that. 210-340-9585. 210-340-9585. The toll-free number is 877-630-5757. That's 877-630-5757. Questions at calvarysa.com. That's the email address if you want to submit your questions that way. We've got a a church app, Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. You can submit your questions there. Um, Or you can also call in through the KSLR app. There is a call now button at the top. And if you click that, uh, you'll be hands-free. And that way, if you're driving, you can go ahead and uh, call directly in and ask your question. Okay, so here at Calvary Chapel, by way of quick programming note, um, I'll be teaching tonight. Um, Our normal Friday night Bible study is uh, in the New Testament, and it will be tonight. We'll be in Luke chapter 14, taking a a short break from our usual uh, Friday night study in Ephesians. Uh, So yeah, Luke 14 tonight, it's a actually a continuation of what we talked about in part on Wednesday. Luke 14 is the story that Jesus is describing about uh, men jockeying for seats at the dinner table. So it's a lesson in humility. Not a fun one, but it's an an essential one that we need. And so tune in tonight at calvarysa.com, 7 p.m. if you want to watch live stream or uh, preferably attend in person. We'd love to have you. Oh, one more quick note. Uh, since Pastor Ron will be back in town tonight, um, 
he wanted me to remind uh, anyone that's interested in the prayer meeting that we usually have Saturday mornings, that's still on. So 9.30 a.m. tomorrow morning here at the church. Uh, you're all invited if you want to attend. And then Pastor Ron will continue his Sunday study here at Calvary Chapel in Second Timothy. All right. Let's go right into our questions on this Friday afternoon. Debbie says, in Genesis, God tells us that Enoch was no more, that he walked with God, then God took him. And in 2 Kings, he tells us that Elijah was taken up in a chariot of fire. Wouldn't that be a couple of pictures of the rapture? could look like, or what the rapture could look like, and number two, wouldn't it be possible if they were the two witnesses that came back after the rapture and are killed, left for three days, and rise again? Great questions, Debbie. I love the fact that you're reading your Bible. So about Enoch, it was one of my favorite characters in the Old Testament, and Elijah. Like you said, both of them were caught up to heaven. And what that means is they did not see physical death here on earth. Second Kings, like you'd mentioned in chapter 2, it says that Elijah was caught up in a whirlwind and, and that he was brought to heaven in a chariot of fire. What a wonderful picture. And then Enoch in Genesis chapter 5 was one who walked with God and was no more. So when you ask, could their translation into heaven be a picture of the rapture? Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, I love that picture. In Hebrews chapter 11, in that hall of faith, uh, Enoch's testimony, it says this about him, that, that he, he walked with God and that he pleased God, and then he was no more. I love the fact that, that e- Enoch was simply walking with Jesus. So is it a picture uh, of the rapture, yes, they were caught up, and it's a, it's a great example. Will it be exactly like that? No, it, we won't have a chariot of fire, likely, but it's definitely uh, a foreshadowing, a type, if you will, of being caught up. That's what the word rapturus means, caught up into heaven. Now, the second part of your question, or the second question you asked, uh, could it be possible that these are the two witnesses in Revelation chapter 11? Well, the Bible doesn't explicitly tell us who these two witnesses are. There's a lot of opinions, and there's also some scripture that may indicate uh, who they are. And, and, and from that, uh, we can formulate uh, an educated opinion. But the Bible doesn't explicitly say who these two witnesses are. Some uh, discredit the idea that it... Uh, Actually, some say that it would be these two because of the way that they were caught up into heaven. And it makes sense because, well, uh, you know, it's been appointed unto man to die once, right? Hebrews chapter 9. And, and since these two men didn't die and everybody else will, well, then they'll come back and then they'll die. But that's not what Hebrews chapter 9 really means because we also know this, that when the rapture happens, there will be Christians who are still alive. And they, too, won't see death. So that verse in chapter 9 uh, of Hebrews isn't a, isn't a rule, a mandate for every single person, but it's more of a general statement that, that man is going to die. Now, 
who is the witnesses then? I, I personally think we're going to see Moses and Elijah. Now, I believe that the Word of God supports this. Again, not everybody thinks this, and that's fine. Some think that it is Enoch and Elijah because of that verse in Hebrews chapter 9. But, but listen to this, Debbie. When you think of the Mount of Transfiguration in, in Mark chapter 9, remember when, when Peter there was in awe of uh, Jesus being transformed in all of his glory, but then alongside of him, was Moses on one side and Elijah on the other. And the reason why it was those two is because these two encapsulate, they, 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 they codify really the, the Old Testament because you have the law and the prophets. Moses uh, symbolized the law and Elijah the prophets. And that's what the Old Testament in its entirety is referred to. It's the law and the prophets. So we have a picture here of the Old Testament being seen at the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, we also see some of the, the miracles described in Revelation chapter 10 by the witnesses uh, being done by, by Moses. And so um, we also see Jesus saying that Moses, I'm sorry, that, that Elijah will return. So it's likely that it'll be Elijah, and I really think it'll be Moses also. But again, it's not explicitly stated. Um, that's the best that we can do. I had mentioned that Enoch is one of my favorites, and this is not related to your question, but since you brought up Enoch, I love the fact that, that Enoch was a normal man, just like you and me, who lived until he was 65 years old. And then at 65 years old, he had what we would call a born-again experience. At 65 years old, he was just like any other man. But then it says in Genesis chapter 5 that at that moment when he had his son, he lived for the next 300 years as a preacher of righteousness. This week, in combination with, with Hebrews chapter 11, is what we learn about what Enoch's life was like. And during that time, at the end of his 300 plus 65 years, so it's 365 years, he was walking with Jesus, spreading the word of God, proclaiming the truth, and then Jesus just said, okay, it's time to go. And he was translated into heaven to be with Jesus I love that because normal stories, normal, when I mean by normal, is just stories about normal people who walk with God and please God. God uses them to do amazing things. Amazing things. And it is no different for us today, Debbie. Um, so I hope that encourages you. Your question, uh, yes, it's a picture of the rapture. Um, are they the two witnesses? We don't know for sure. Could be, but I think it's Moses and Elijah. Thanks for your question. 210-340-9585. That is the phone number to call in. The next question is from Josephine. Josephine says, oh, this is a good one. 
I have a tendency to shy away from crowds, and then in parentheses says anxiety. And I love being alone. Yesterday, you mentioned talking to people like this during quarantine. I, I read my Bible and pray every day and, f- and feel close to God, with an exclamation mark. Why is this not healthy? Well, Josephine, it, I, I hope I didn't say it wasn't healthy. Uh, and if I did, forgive me, because it's just not true. Reading your Bible and praying is never unhealthy. In fact, it is healthy, and it will make you even more spiritually healthier. Anytime you're in your word, especially, I would add, if it is during this time of quarantine and limited interaction, or if you're staying at home, um, reading your Bible is a great thing. It's always good to be closer to Jesus than it is to our than we are to our circumstances. And, and, and keeping that line of communication with Jesus through prayer or keeping it open all day long and with your Bibles open and, and you're hearing from, from the Spirit of God speak to your heart, that's a great thing and I would say it is a healthy thing. So that, that's not what I was talking about. But here's the thing. Christians, and Josephine, I'm assuming that you are, and you're listening to a Christian radio show, but if you're not, then that's where you need to start. You need to be born again and have the Spirit of God living in you so that you, you, you know for sure that you go into heaven. And then that's how the Spirit of God speaks to your heart. But again, I, I'm going to assume that you are. So Christians cheat themselves, and they also, by the way, disobey God's Word when they forsake the gathering of the brethren. Now, I know that sounds, or that can be misconstrued to make people feel guilty for not coming to church, especially when you know, we're in a time of quarantine. But, but I'm not talking about that. I'm, I'm talking about letting uh, the spiritual gifts that, that you have been given, letting them sit and not go used means you're not being faithful to edify the body the way God intends you to. That's the reason why we have gifts. Now, you had mentioned anxiety, and you, you put this in parentheses. If you deal with anxiety and you, you have some type of uh, uh, medical condition, then what I would say is that you need to make sure you get medical attention. How? Um, you know, I, I'm not a doctor, but I, I have counseled with a lot of people who deal with real chemical imbalances, a, a real uh, mental health issues. And if we don't use the medical expertise around us to at least help us deal with those things, then we're not doing the best that we can to, to get our hearts and our minds in a place to where Jesus can speak to us. Now, it doesn't mean that I'm you know, for big pharma or pro-medicine. I'm not against medicine, not for it. I, I don't care. I, I want you to be in a place where you can hear from the Lord. I want you to be in a place to where you can use your gifts, where you can be fruitful and even if church looks different now, 
Testament. I, I don't know what church is going to look like for you or where you go or, or if it's just online. It doesn't matter. Because even in limited interaction, you can still use your gifts. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, a theme there is unity. And remember when Paul the Apostle is writing here to the church in Ephesus, he tells them that they have been given, each one of them has been given a spiritual gift. And the sole purpose of that gift is to use that gift and exercise that gift for the edification of the body. Now, we don't stop using our gifts just because of COVID. We just have to find other ways to use them. And yesterday, when, when May and I were doing the day-to-day edition, uh, one of the things I mentioned is because we have been dealing with some people who, who just want to quit. They just want to give up. Or, or, or they, like you implied, they kind of favor being alone. Don't really want to deal with people. Well, if you have the Spirit of God living in you, and you, you have to minister to people, and if your heart is, you just don't like people, then I would say you need to start with checking your heart and finding out why you're like that, because God doesn't save anyone to be a lone ranger Christian that just sits all by themselves. And again, if this is in some type of circumstance where you have no choice, that's different. But when you say you don't like people, you shy away from crowds, and you love being alone, I, you know what? I do too. I do. But I, I can't do what I feel like doing. I have to do what I'm called to do, to love people, to be around them. Romans chapter 12 is another example when Paul the Apostle is saying that we, we, you and I, all of us, are members of one body. Now think about this, Josephine. If we're one body, one collective body of Christ, and the members of this body, Paul says in Romans 12, all have a, a, a unique or individual function. Not all members, he says, have the same function. So th- this is, again, about the gifts. We being many are one in one body and individually members of one another. That means I have an obligation, not just to Jesus, but also to you, to those people, the individual members of this body, to use the gifts that I've been given so that you could be edified. You have an obligation, a responsibility to do the same. I need you, and you need me, and this is how the body edifies each other. Because these gifts that we've been given is according to the grace that he's given us. So, he says, let's use them. Let's use them. Again, this is not meant to to make anyone feel bad because they're not coming to church, but you've been given gifts that you need to use, and church is the place that you use them. If you don't like people, if you don't like being around people, well, then I think that's a heart issue that you need to seek the Lord about and find out why that is the case. Thank you for your question, Josephine. Let's move on to the next question. This is from Deborah. 
Deborah says, in John chapter 3, it says that God gives the Spirit without limits. This is John chapter 3, verse 34. That means when we are reborn in the Spirit, we can see things that are of the Spirit. Sometimes. I mean, like, when someone is hitting you, and you look up at the person, and for a split second, you see an angel using a human being to hold back the person who is beating on you? Question mark. I'm not sure if I read that correctly, but it goes on to say, please answer this one because it's really important to me. Okay, well, Deborah, I, I hope that uh, I read that correctly in a way that makes sense, but I think I understand the question here. So, yes, in John chapter 3, when Jesus is speaking here, verse 34 is saying that God gives the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, without limits. It, it doesn't mean that there is some supernatural uh, vision that we're going to be able to have to see things that are going on in the spiritual realm. What John chapter 3 verse 34 means is that, that God puts no restriction on his power, his power that works in us and his power that works through us. This is the power of God's spirit. So that's what he's uh, referencing when he says that God gives a spirit without limits. There's no limitation, no restriction on his power working in and through us. So the context here is that Jesus is coming in power and speaking words that come directly from the Father, the one whom God has sent to speak the words of God. And this is in stark contrast to the Old Testament prophets. The Old Testament prophets had the Holy Spirit in certain moments, but there was limits there. You know, the, 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 the ministries of the Holy Spirit, we know, like the, the epi, the, the coming upon of the Holy Spirit came upon people in the Old Testament, like David, even King Saul. And God used them for a moment to accomplish what he had planned. But that was temporary. God today gives us a spirit, and there is no limit. He works in us. He works through us, and he comes upon us in power. And the, 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 the word here, the verse that says that there's, it's without limits is more about his uh, no having restriction of his power, not, not us being able to see things or, or, like you'd mentioned, being able to see supernatural things. So it doesn't have anything to do with seeing visions, or it doesn't have anything to do with battling spiritual beings, uh, or seeing them in action. Uh, unfortunately, that's just something we see in the movies. Um, but there is one thing about this I will add, and I've got a few more minutes here, so I'll elaborate on this question. Because you are correct, Deborah, when, when we do have the Spirit of God living in us, once we, we become born again, what we do have is the ability to discern things that are of the Spirit. Paul tells us this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Because the things of the Spirit are spiritually discerned. What does that mean? Well, that means that if a person doesn't have the Spirit of God living in them, well, then they, they can't understand or, or see, and using your example, they can't 
see the things of God. And when he gives us his spirit, his spirit that's living in us, the Holy Spirit helps us see things the way he wants us to see them. He helps us to see things the way he sees them. And this is so important because when God gives us his spirit without limits, there's no limit to what we can see and what God wants to do in and through us. And, and on a practical note, Deborah, this is the reason why we can't get frustrated with unbelievers when they act like unbelievers. We can't get mad at sinners when they sin. Is it hurtful? Sure it is. Is it disappointing? Of course it is. But when Christians uh, put upon uh, unbelievers a requirement to act in the Spirit, what they're essentially saying is that they're expecting them to do something that they can't do. And this is an important lesson for us who are believers because we oftentimes put this yoke upon people to be good, uh, to be nice, and to be kind. And, and th that's true. We want that. But we can't expect people to act like they have the Spirit of God if they don't have the Spirit of God. This is why we always talk about Jesus and we always say you need to be born again. Well, you can hear the music. That means we are ending the first half of the Friday edition of The Word to Stand On for Life. My name is Pastor Ken Cruzado. We'll be back in two minutes. If you have questions about the Bible, you can send them to Pastor Ron and he'll answer them on the air or reply directly to you. Email your questions to PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. That's PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. Back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of the Friday edition of the Word to Stand On for Life. If you're just tuning in, my name is Pastor Ken Cruzado. And I have been filling in for Pastor Ron this week. He normally takes your questions uh, about the Bible. Uh, that's what this show is for. But I've been filling in for him because he's out of town. He's actually on his way back in. Uh, so I'll be finishing off the week today. He will be back here at the church tomorrow for Saturday morning prayer if anybody wants to join. And he'll be back to teaching his usual Second Timothy study on Sunday. Uh, tonight is our New Testament study night here. I'll be teaching in Luke chapter 14. Uh, if you want to attend in person, that would be great. 7 o'clock here at Calvary Chapel. Or you can tune in at calvarysa.com for the live stream. Okay, uh, I think we have a, a caller, so we'll go right to the phone calls. Uh, Jimmy in San Antonio, you're on the air. How can I help you? Hi, how are you doing, sir? Um, Hi, Jimmy, I'm doing well. Uh, there's a lot of these uh, people that are on YouTube, and and they're saying that oh, uh, these are false teachers, correct? Uh, this is what I see. They're saying oh, I have a vision, and Lord gave me a vision about the rapture, and 
and I had a dream about it, and I want to tell you that this, uh, what are you, those are false teachers, right? They get me so angry. <laughs> Is that true? Oh, I, 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 I thought you were coughing, Jimmy. <laughs> yeah, it it is, but it, it it there's a difference between calling somebody a false teacher and then just saying something false. So so we have to be very careful. Now you're right, Jimmy. Anytime uh, we see somebody talking about uh, heaven, and we have a lot of those books. Uh, videos, even movies, if you will, about people, kids, adults spending, uh, you know, 15 seconds in heaven and, and the visions that they've seen. Well, Paul the Apostle gives us an answer about that. You know, in Second Corinthians chapter 12, you remember, he says that I know a person who's caught up in, in the third heaven, whether out of the body or not, I, I don't know, God knows, but he says that I'm not supposed to talk about these things. And this is the same thing it should be for us. Um, if they're a false teacher, I, I don't know. Um, a false teacher is someone that teaches false doctrine. And, and this, that's a heavy, heavy accusation against somebody because you remember Second Peter that talks about how uh, false teachers will be dealt with. And, you know, deepest darkness and blackness will be reserved for them. This is because false teachers um, uh, misrepresent or they, they teach incorrectly who Jesus is. So when it comes to um, an improper teaching of the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God the Son, the God-man Jesus Christ uh, Paul, uh, I'm sorry, John the Apostle I mentioned yesterday or, or two days ago uh, talks about the spirit of Antichrist. And, and that's exactly what uh, a false teacher is. Now, these people that are talking about the third heaven, oh, I'm sorry, they're talking about their time in heaven, it's, uh, it's false teaching for sure. And uh, it's not something I would recommend anyone to watch. I don't know them. I don't know their hearts. It's not a judgment on their hearts because they may, may be born again. They may be real believers. But I think it's a bad thing, Jimmy, when, when Christians focus on the experiential. Uh, and, you know, that's popular in our modern church culture. You know, to, to anything that caters to the emotions, uh, you, you know, Worship services where, 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 you know, music is something that, that lulls people into a trance. And, you know, these are kinds of things that can distract us from the Word of God and, and mistakenly think that, that it's the Spirit of God leading us when it's just the flesh. So that's what I would say, Jimmy, about these videos that you see on YouTube. Don't pay any attention to them. Don't, don't, don't listen to them. Stick to what the Word of God says. Paul the Apostle said again in 2 Corinthians 12, it's, he's pretty clear. It's not something we need to be talking about. He even kept that to himself. So, Jimmy, I hope that helps. Thanks for your call. I really appreciate it. And I also, I love your humor because laughing about it is, I mean, it's a serious matter, 
but la- laughter is a good thing. And then I, I know who you are. I know your smile. I could just picture you. <laughs> so God bless you. Thank you for your call. Let's go to. Uh, oh, we got a sub- we got a question that was submitted. Uh, let me read this from Alan. It says in Acts chapter seven, Stephen talked to the Pharisees of the talked to the Pharisees of the golden calf made by Aaron, so the Jews could have a god to worship. Was Stephen implying that this is exactly what the Pharisees have done with their religion, adding all those laws and statutes? To the pe- for the people to obey. Great observation, Alan. And, and from the, our Monday night study, which which you may or may not have been listening to, I think if it's the same, Alan, you were listening to um, the Monday nights. We're going through the Book of Acts, and we have been talking about uh, Stephen's discourse, and then that section that deals with Moses. Uh, we talk about this. In verse 40, where Stephen is mentioning the golden calf made by Aaron. So this is what it says in verse 40. They told Aaron, make us gods who will go before us. As as for this fellow Moses who led us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. And I think your analogy is correct, Alan. Stephen's point in this long discourse is to show the Pharisees that they, they, they missed the mark. When Jesus came and spoke the truth, he spoke from God, spoke as God, they rejected him, the Pharisees did, and rejected who Jesus claimed to be. And instead, they wanted to worship this religion that they had. And hold that above the people. And so in that sense, there is a similarity between what Stephen was implying the Pharisees did with their religion and what Aaron did with the golden calf. Now, it's not a hundred percent accurate, but it does make the point. And I think the most important part to this, Alan, is, is remembering that what Stephen was doing, as he was speaking to the Pharisees, wasn't uh, meant to, to condemn. Because I really believe, and I think I already mentioned this in your previous question, but I believe with all my heart that the tone of Stephen's discourse, though it was authoritative and very direct, the purpose of his discourse was to win the hearts of the Pharisees. Even up to the very last moment, that Stephen was alive and he knew his end was very close because they were very angry at him. What he did was use every moment to share the truth of who Jesus is so that there may be an opportunity for even one of them to repent. And I love that about him. So everything he said by referring back to the patriarchs and showing them, in this case, showing the Pharisees that the way that they have worshipped this religion is the same way that Aaron created a god for them to worship as to distract them from the true God of Israel. It was a way that they missed the mark, the Pharisees did. And he was doing this, bringing it up, Alan, 
so that, uh, again, he could give them the opportunity to repent. Uh, I just picture in my mind, you know, as we know at the end of Stephen's discourse, uh, that heaven opens up, he sees Jesus and uh, uh, standing to receive him. He was a faithful servant up until the very end. And even he was acting and saying the same things Jesus did when he was being stoned to death because the very people casting these stones on him were the same people he was praying for, that they would get saved. There's no way a person can live and act and, and, and be that way unless it was a Spirit of God that changed him. And this is what uh, Stephen wanted for the very Pharisees he was speaking to. Thanks for your question, Al. That's a great one. Okay. Let's go back to the submitted questions. Make sure we don't have anybody else. Uh, let me give you the phone numbers one more time. If you're calling in with your question, it's 210-340-9585. 210-340-9585. Uh, if you're out of the vicinity, the toll-free number is 877-630-5757. That's 877-630-5757. Five, seven. Questions at calvaryessay.com. That's the email address to submit your questions. Uh, you can use the KSLR mobile app to call in. Hit the Call Now banner at the top, or you can submit your question if you want to type it out on your phone. We've got a church app that has a tab there to submit your questions, and you can do that. Okay, back to our questions that were submitted. This next one comes from Chris. Chris says... I like to believe that all good people will go to heaven, that God will see the good in them and accept them. Why is this train of thought wrong? They don't live lives of sin, nor do they deny God. Now, Chris, anytime I see a question that starts off saying, I like to believe, there's a pretty good chance the rest of it is going to have something that is opinion or maybe not of God's word. And uh, Chris, thank you for submitting your question, but your question falls right into that category. The problem with your statement, Chris, is this, that your definition of good is not good enough. Your definition of good is not good enough. Heaven, think of it this way, Heaven is God's domain, and He dictates the rules. We like to think, no matter what uh, religion or culture or no matter what lifestyle you live, that all human beings are entitled to heaven. Because it's the place that everybody wants to be. But heaven is a place, is the place of God's domain. He is the one that makes the rules. And his word clearly says that born-again Christians, only born-again Christians, will be in heaven. And since God's word is the authority and God's righteousness, not my righteousness or not your righteousness, but God's righteousness is the standard for entrance into heaven, then that means that 
heaven is perfect. Not just good, but it's perfect. And anyone who even has an inkling of sin, even if it's just one sin, well, they can't enter. Because the, the righteousness of God is what's required. You see, Chris, good people are good because we compare them to bad people. It's easy to compare uh, a nice guy that, that, that takes care of his kids and is faithful to his wife and pays all of his taxes and doesn't hurt people, gives a lot to charity, and, and maybe even goes to church. That type of person, most would look at and say, okay, that guy may deserve heaven. And then we contrast that person with somebody who's in prison, somebody who has committed a crime, somebody who, who may even have a, a life sentence because they've hurt or even murdered somebody. Well, of course, you know, you think of it that way, the stark contrast between the two, from a worldly perspective, from your perspective, Chris, it's pretty obvious to see which one deserves heaven and which one doesn't. But see, God doesn't think that way. God doesn't act that way. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says this, that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, and that the old is gone and the new is come. That's a reference to a person who has been born again. Whether their past is good or bad things that they've done, there is forgiveness of sin. And that means we're made brand new. We're born again. He goes on to say, Paul does in Second Corinthians, that all this is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us this ministry of reconciliation. And then a couple of verses later on, God says this through the Apostle Paul, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the key, Chris. It doesn't matter how good I am. It doesn't matter how good you are. All that matters is perfection. And perfection is not attainable by anybody, by anyone, unless they have been saved, unless they're born again. When... When John is, I'm sorry, when, when Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, again, the most religious guy in all of Israel, one of the smartest, if not the smartest teacher, Jesus said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So it doesn't matter how nice people are. It doesn't matter um, what they're like or, or, or if they're good people because that doesn't determine whether they get into heaven or not. Only born-again Christians will be there. Now, I will add this, sadly, Chris, there's two things. Sadly, in hell, there will be a lot of nice people. I know that's difficult to hear, but it's true. In hell, there will be a lot of nice people. And again, that's because being a nice person is not what gets you into heaven. But the counterpart to that is also sad. 
that there are a lot of people who claim to be Christians that are not nice. They're not nice, and I just don't understand that. If you have the Spirit of God living in you, and if God is nice, which He is, how can we not be nice? It doesn't mean we do whatever people tell us to do. It doesn't mean that, you know, being nice doesn't mean you just let people step all over you and you become a yes man. But what what I'm talking about, Chris, is if the Spirit of God lives in you and, and, and is producing fruit in you, then the fruit that the Bible talks about is this love and joy, peace, patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These things should be evident in the life of a believer. And that means you should be nice. I can't understand it. People say they love Jesus so much, but they are not nice people. And so, Chris, uh, I hope that helps. Again, I, I may not be what you want to hear, but I thank you for asking the question because it's an important one. And, and we have a lot of people in our lives that think this way, but I want to be absolutely clear, absolutely clear. Being good will not get you into heaven. The being born again will. How do you become born again? Well, it's pretty easy, Chris. You just ask him. You ask Jesus to forgive you of your sin. You believe by faith that he died for your sin, that the work that he did on the cross was a work that only he could accomplish that you could not accomplish on your own. And when you realize that, you say, Jesus, I no longer trust in myself to earn my way into heaven, but I believe that you already did it for me. And I believe that. And by believing in him, you become born again. Thank you for your question, Chris. It's a very, very important one. Okay, we still got a few minutes left in the show. If you want to call in at 210-340-9585, 210-340-9585, that's the phone number to call if you're in the San Antonio area. If you're outside of the area, 877-630-5757, 877-630-5757. Questions at calvarysa.com, that's the email address. And we may be too late into the show if you submit your email, but uh, Pastor Ron will take them next week if you want to go ahead and use that. Next question comes from Daniel. How do you reconcile the different instructions Jesus gives to the disciples when he sends them out in pairs? For example, in Mark chapter 6, Jesus says to take their staffs. But in Matthew chapter 10 and Luke chapter 9, Jesus says, do not take your staffs. Oh, good question, Daniel. Good question. So there is an answer to this. And if you look carefully at the text, I think it becomes pretty clear. Mark chapter 6, Jesus says in verse 8, take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. And in verse, uh, I'm sorry, in chapter 9 of Luke, 
uh, Jesus says, take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, and, and no extra tunic. Then, in Matthew chapter 10, and I think this is where we have, uh, we find our, our key here. Matthew chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus is saying, take no bag for the journey, no extra tunic or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worth his keep. The problem Daniel is solved by simply taking a closer look and observing what Matthew actually says. So Matthew, in his passage in chapter 10, said that they were not to procure. That's the word that's actually used there in the Greek. And that means to to add extra items. So in Matthew chapter 10... I think it's in verse 9 or verse 10, but he's saying, don't take anything extra. But in Mark, when he wrote in chapter 6, he wrote that they could take, it's a different word, any staffs they already had. So, so basically, Jesus is sending them out. He wants them to take whatever it is they have and not add extra, not pack extra. Why? They were to travel lightly, it was a short trip. They were to come back and report to Jesus. He says that in Luke chapter 9, that they were to report back to him. So it was a trip that they had to travel lightly for. Therefore, don't take anything extra. You can just take what you have. And that's why Jesus sends them out. In fact, there's an application there for us that's important, Daniel. When Jesus sends us out, uh, he doesn't want us to depend upon anything except for his spirit. He will supply everything that we need. Our, our trust is not in uh, finances. It's not in people. It's not in boosters or donors. It's not in our, you know, our, our ministry uh, tour of churches where we go from church to church and, and beg for money. Uh, Jesus doesn't say to do any of those things not to trust in material possessions, but to just trust in Him. And when we travel lightly, we're agile, we're, we're versatile. We can, we can shift direction as the Spirit leads, and, and that's the whole point there, not to take extra items. Daniel, I hope that helps. It's a great question uh, with, with a wonderful practical application because I think too many of us in our walk with the Lord, we... we we like to overpack, if you will. We want to be extra prepared. And, and sometimes that's a hindrance. And I'm not talking about vacation. I'm just talking about things in our life. We, we, our plate is too full. We've got too many things going on to where we're not really usable. We've got, you know, every minute of the day filled with something busy that's going on. When do we get to sit down and and pray and read our Bible. When do we get to sit down and talk to Jesus? And that's when we're doing too much. Remember tonight, uh, New Testament study in Luke chapter 14, I'll be teaching. If you're driving tonight, there may be some construction around the church. Just be careful. We've seen some signs and maybe some doing some work. Uh, it's been my pleasure to work with you today, this week, of the Word to Stand Out for Life. Pastor Ron will be back next week on Monday. God bless you. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. 
The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Amen.